This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day. This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Ventures, with another edition of our Digital Leadership Podcast. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Cal Patel, CEO of Bright Insight, a company fusing digital and health with the leading regulated IoT platform for biopharma and medtech. Before joining Bright Insight, Cal was Chief Commercial Officer for Doctor on Demand, founded and led Amgen's digital health business unit, and was also the global marketing lead for Amgen's Enbril. He also held various commercial leadership roles at Novartis, was a principal with the Boston Consulting Group, and also served as senior advisor in digital health to them as well. Welcome, Cal. It's great to have you on uh, the Momenta Partners podcast. Great to be here, Ken. Appreciate the invite. Absolutely. So, Tell me a bit about your professional journey and how it has informed your views of digital industry. Um, yeah, it's it's good good place to start, Ken. You know, I, I think I've had a very interesting professional journey because I started out, you know, really studying economics and went into management consulting in Boston Consulting Group for a couple of years, and then did something that very few folks at the time were doing. I went in, went to medical school, so I ended up being an MD MBA. Then went back to consulting for for a number of years before moving over to the pharma industry where I was at Novartis, um, as you mentioned, uh, for several years, and then for quite a few years at uh, at the major biopharma uh, Amgen. And, you know, the interesting thing for me from a technology perspective, uh, you know, before shifting into digital health has been the fact that I've always been a user of technology, right, both as a consumer and as an enterprise user. And for those first two decades of my career, I was never really a builder of you know the, of, of digital technologies, and so that really informs I think you know my experience on you know what it takes for something to really be successful, for it to be adopted, to really deliver the promise uh, for for those end users, um, and and you know I try to really bring that to bear. Uh, you know, as I shifted over to really the technology side, both at Amgen, at Doctor and Demand, and, and now at Bright Insight. Let's talk a bit about your formal medical education. I, I, I like um, practitioners, if you will, and so to go from consulting to taking a formal medical education and then back into consulting, really what inspired you to make that move and, and, and to make the move back? Yeah, you, you know, I always had this desire um, to want to be in medicine, and I actually was, you know, spent all my summers in college, you know, working in a basic science lab and 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 doing medical oriented research, and you know, I applied to medical school, deferred my admissions to go go work at Boston Consulting Group, and you know, it was interesting in my decision at the time was. I actually saw, you know, BCG as kind of a, an opportunity to get a real-world experience before jumping into medical school and, and to take my economics education and, again, learn it and, and, and apply it in the real world. And when I got to BCG, uh, what really struck me was the ability to have impact at scale. 
And I really enjoyed that to say, how, you know, how do we advise executives at companies to make decisions that will help them and be more successful and hence their, you know, the, the, the beneficiaries of their products, um, uh, you know, really be at scale. And so that, that's what took me to, um, you know, that's what really sort of inspired me at BCG around wanting to focus on the business side as more of a career. Uh, now, when I was wrapping up, you know, I had the option to just go to business school and, and come back to consulting or, or to actually take upon my, you know, opportunity I had to go to medical school. And I decided to do that. Um, and that was really an amazing privilege, um, you know, to be able to serve people uh, when they are, you know, it's such a vulnerable position um, is is really you know a special opportunity and and you know I felt that that was one that I didn't want to pass up that it would you know really shape how I pursued my you know business career in healthcare and um, and so I you know I did that and I was sort of laugh with my um, friends and colleagues from medical school that I, I you know I had the best experience of anybody in medical school because you know I was so focused on the long game and what you know it had the luxury of not being you know caught up on you know the, the, you know the pending exam or, or or you know the pending deliverables that we had to had, had to get done so it was really an amazing you know amazing experience to be able to to bring that kind of um, you know front frontline learning and then be able to bring that back back to the business side um, and you know to specifically answer your question or what what brought me back it was again that desire to do it at scale you know my experience in medical school again it was amazing but you're serving patients you know one patient at a time and in healthcare and technology or in business and technology you get to really serve people you know at obviously massive magnitudes compared to the one-to-one -one relationship Mm. I noted at uh, BCG after uh, medical school, you really sat at the boundary of uh, business strategy and corporate development. What were some of the early trends you saw in digital healthcare at the time? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know it's, it's interesting to reflect back on that, you know, and because at the time I think we weren't even really talking about this kind of digital technology with our healthcare clients. And, and frankly, they weren't really talking about it either. So, you know, some of the things that I reflect back on, you know, one was this just massive, uneven adoption of technology, you know, within companies that are, are literally spending billions of dollars pursuing, you know, the unknown, right, from a, from a core science and, and medical perspective. Um, yet they were very hesitant and very slow at adopting um, you know technologies that were getting proven out in many other industries, um, and so that so that that really struck me is 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 you know that dichotomy of uh, being very you know very uh, uh, you know at the forefront of innovation on certain parts of their business and very risk averse or slow on on other parts. The, the second thing I would say is. Um, there was a real desire, especially when you moved away from the big companies and started seeing what you know the smaller ones and the startups were beginning to do when they started recognizing you know the potential power of what we now call digital health. And the, what I noted was early on, folks really um, focused on how do we stay out of the regulated world. Right, so there's this sort of notion of, hey, I'm doing digital health, but I found a way to build a product or a business that's going to keep me away from FDA or keep me away from other types of, you know, regulations and uh, or EMA in case of, you know, Europe, et cetera. Um, and, and I think that though that allowed for some innovations, obviously, to move faster, I think much of that really missed, missed the bar in terms of, in terms of, um, how to drive 
how to drive the most impactful uh, impact from from digital health. And I think we're finally beginning to see, uh, you know, digital health now focus on leveraging um, and, and really embracing the power of what you can do within the regulated area of healthcare. Mm. And as we're recording this, of course, we're in week uh, somewhere between week six and week eight of the uh, lockdown due to the uh, COVID pandemic. So this whole idea of acceleration of medical is uh, and medical sciences and technologies to meet this uh, this pandemic is, um, is is certainly relevant to this. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I think it's interesting this uh, idea that. Um, um, on the regulated side that um, digital wasn't moving as quickly in that space, uh, all the way down to um, health records is usually what you hear about quite a bit in, uh, in the US is uh, the uh, um, commonization and sharing of those. So I saw you started formally using the term digital health in 2013 as the founder and head of uh, Amgen's digital health business. What was the specific offering at the time and what made it truly digital? Yeah. Yeah. So our focus there was how do we leverage technology to improve the real world performance of our drugs? And what, uh, you know, what, what really inspired me to want to do that and, and, and focus on that is, you know, as I looked at what we, what pharma and medtech, you know, could be doing with technology, it became really obvious to me that um, technology had changed virtually every aspect of our lives, right? Uh, if you think about, you know, how we bank, um, you know, how we figure out directions, you know, how we communicate. Um, you know, technology literally had changed virtually every aspect of our lives, but it had largely, in my opinion, anyway, skipped over healthcare education and government. Um, and that was, you know, it's hard to find you know, three more important right, areas of all of our lives as, as, as global citizens than healthcare education and government. And what I saw was that there was um, a lot of value that proven technologies could bring to healthcare, and so at Amgen, being one of the first, you know, really dedicated, you know, you know units in a big pharma medtech company focused on digital, we we set a focus to say, how can we leverage technology to improve the real world performance of our drugs, and so what that meant were things like improving. Um, uh, uh, the identification of patients that were appropriate for our therapies or improving adherence to uh, our therapy. So for patients who are already using our therapies, but helping them be adherent to the to the right you know, regimen or protocol of, of, of taking the medication. So what we did were things that solved those types of problems. So as, as specific examples, uh, one of the things we did was we put uh, Bluetooth into one of our main, you know, drug delivery devices for one of our main drugs. And, and um, you know, at this time, and it's still pr pretty early, there's a lot of companies being able to do this now, but at the time, you know, the, this program is very early and I think ultimately, you know, led to the second ever, uh, what, we, what you know, FDA calls a connected combination product. So drug plus drug delivery device plus, you know, IoT platform, you know, algorithm app, sort of all as a as a regulated medical product. And so kind of the second one of those, um, you know, Amgen Venture got approved by FDA. Um, you know, and other things we were doing is we were building algorithms, um, some extremely simple, some very complex, but the purpose was, and we build these, commercialize them again through regulated uh, regulatory bodies, and then in, embed them into electronic medical records, into patient registries, into even medical devices, with the purpose of finding 
patients that were undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, or undertreated, where Amgen had a leading drug position. Um, so, you know, it was the early days of, of, of um, you, know, you know, what I call regulated digital health, but where I think um, there's just a tremendous amount of value by, you know, finding these opportunities of, um, of, um, of, of care optimization and being able to close those gaps and really improve clinical outcomes, uh, which then leads obviously to, you know, overall cost savings, um, you know, as well as, um, you know, often much better experience for patients and practitioners. Hmm. So I, I had noted going from Amgen, and perhaps it falls under this idea of impact at scale that you um, served as chief commercial officer at Doctor on Demand. Um, and uh, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to make that move, and what were some of your key learnings during your time there. Um, yeah, you, you know, it was a very it was a personal decision. You know, to your point around impact at scale. Uh, you know, you know, recall my wife really sat me down and and said to me as I was preparing to you know leave Amgen. She said, "Look, you always tell everybody you have the best job at Amgen. So, so what problem are you trying to solve?" And I said, "Terry, you're right. I do have the best job at Amgen. Amgen been nothing but great to me. It was a great opportunity to learn and have have great impact." But I told her, you know, I felt like I was at um, you know, uh, we were we were steering you know a big ship right that had a focus on on drug innovation, and I really wanted to be at you know the equivalent of trying to build an Amazon you know in the early days of the dot com uh, you know revolution and and so I finally felt like you know digital health was hitting this point of inflection you know and I wanted to be you know, at the forefront of that, really trying to, you know, shape and drive and, and deliver that. And, and so it really became, um, you know, it's just, it's just such a great personal motivator for me to be in that in that environment. And uh, and so that's what took me to, you know, to the Bay Area and, and joining Doctor on Demand, um, which, you know, for some of your listeners that are not, um, that are outside the U.S. Uh, may not be as familiar with it. It's, it's one of the United States' largest telemedicine, uh, you know, video medicine providers. Um, and so, you know, it's still uh, at that point, we were obviously that much earlier in the journey of being a startup. And, and it was ama- an amazing learning. So, you know, was, first of all, I would say the startup environment is is like dog ears, right? So, you know, I feel like I learned, you know, seven years worth of <laughs> of output and learning, uh, mm-hmm. you know, within, within startups, uh, because you're just doing so much and you're doing it all so fast. Um, that you don't really have the luxury of of uh, you know of, of uh, unnecessary debate, right, or, or alignment. You're really making decisions and executing at a rapid pace. So, so that was that was an amazing experience. But from a from a you know medical perspective, um, you know what was really interesting to me, uh, and, and I learned you know the hard way as I really dug in, was how hard it it is to drive behavior change. Um, you know, we at Dr. Neman had a an experience, right, a product that our users absolutely loved. You know, our, our ratings in the App Store for, you know, iOS and Android were like 4.9 out of 5. Our net promoter scores were in line with, you know, how much people love their iPhone or their Amazon, uh, you know, services. So people loved our experience. Um, yet it was really hard to get folks to change behaviors, right? So they would use our services for, let's say, the flu, and then that same user wouldn't think about us for, you know, another uh, issue, medical issue they had that we would be perfectly suitable for, right? Because I think as humans, we're so wired 
to be habitual, right? And we, we form these habits and we literally don't think, we just do. And so to get folks to change behaviors, even with an experience they loved, was extremely hard. And so now when we think about healthcare, you think about the behavior changes that are not so fun and enjoyable, right? Uh, for example, eating healthier, or, you know, exercising more, or losing weight, et cetera. Um, you know, I just have a whole new appreciation for, you know, the kind of support and challenge that is to drive those kinds of behavior changes. Mm. And uh, the behavior change can be driven by positive and, and as you say, sometimes negative things. And uh, certainly, again, the uh, the current events going on now um, could be an accelerator for just such digital health uh, innovation, which, again, we'll, we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, so you, you went from Doctor on Demand to Flex, a company that's well-known in the Bay Area and uh, um, actually you know, quite, uh, quite uh, well thought of as well. Um, what led you to go to uh, Flex? And also tell me a little bit about the work you did there that really ultimately uh, ended up in Bright Insight. Yeah, you know, it's a Flex, um, very innovative leadership that, um, you know, sits at uh, across many industries, right? So Flex is they're the largest third-party manufacturer of regulated medical devices in the world, but they have 11 other industries where they generate a billion dollars or more of revenue. So there's this massive company that's seeing innovation in all these various industries. And they were seeing what digital was doing to, um, you know, many, many other business segments. And they saw that, you know, it was going to come to, to healthcare and to, to pharma and med tech who Flex, you know, specifically serves. And so they were really looking for somebody who could help them think through, you know, what are the opportunities as digital comes to pharma and med tech and, and, you know, given my background, both, um, you know, uh, obviously uh, having worked uh, in major pharma companies, but then having done, you know, the entrepreneurial side uh, was, you know, was a nice, a nice fit um, to, to help them think through that and, and to, you know, to execute around opportunities. And for me, the attraction and the pitch really was, um, you know, we'll give you, um, you, you know, you're essentially you'll be uh, an entrepreneur within our company, right? That that we're going to stay out of your way and let you innovate the way you're used to innovating, um, you know, as a start at a startup. Um, but you know, we'll also give you, you know, the resources and support that you need. So so it was a really good match, and um, you know, I came in and, and looked across what was happening in in you know Flex's vast you know customer base across pharma and medtech, and I saw that. Um, the digital was finally moving from, you know, something that was, um, you know, really a, uh, you know, lesser priority to one that was, you know, quickly moving up to becoming a C-level priority and even, you know, even a board level discussion. And as folks were, um, you know, really elevating the opportunity set for digital within pharma and medtech, we saw that companies were really going to, you know, starting to now explore um, you know, regulate building regulated digital health products, right? So fundamentally taking pharma and med tech products and digitizing them or digitizing around them. And they were going to have the same challenges that we experienced and solved at Amgen. And some of those challenges um, really should not be solved at the level of individual companies, but should really be solved by, you know, a company that can really play that, that you know, platform or infrastructure play. And and that's what really, uh, you know, is the opportunity we we focused in on, and and ultimately led to, you know, what we called, um, uh, you know, what we now call Bright Insight. 
So Bright Insight is a is a flex company, and we should talk a little bit about that how how uh, how that's worked in terms of the um, the setup of this and everything else. But um, what really drove your thesis about building Bright Insight, um, in especially thinking about um, an IoT platform for uh, biopharma and and medtech? Uh, you know, my background, of course, um, uh, ThingWorks, uh, Plat One company that we invested in, SAP acquired. So we know the the IoT platform space. Yeah. What what makes Bright Insight uh, unique and differentiated in that, yeah. and uh, um, you know, in in terms of the the clients as well? Yeah, yeah, great question. You know, the only the only reason Bright Insight exists as an IoT company is because we solve the very specific and important problems of moving data. Um, from you know the edge from the patient or you know from the user or the device to the cloud and back in the context of healthcare, right? So when you're in regulated healthcare, there's a set of requirements that are very important from a data privacy and security, as well as from a regulatory and quality perspective that you have to meet. And you know, when I was at Amgen, we you know built that connected combination product. I was talking about connected drug delivery device. We ended up spending more time, money, and effort on figuring out the IoT piece than we did on, you know, putting Bluetooth into our injector pen and building the user app. So it's really that plumbing, that infrastructure that's extremely complex because of the requirements of regulated healthcare um, that that becomes really an, 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 um, a, um, a high mountain to climb to be able to do this kind of innovation. And so what we said is each company shouldn't be building, trying to home grow this, right? And and literally spending many, many tens of millions of dollars to build, you know, a subpar homegrown IoT platform. And then many, many tens of millions of dollars to maintain and run and expand that platform globally. Um, so what we said is, you know, we should be solving that problem and be really focused and really good at doing that. And then let other companies, you know, farm on MedTech use our infrastructure to build their innovation on top, right? So um, what we did is we first put in place a robust quality management system, you know, one that is very important when you think about how, you know, regulated healthcare. So, you know, the ones that are defined by the FDA, defined by EMA, et cetera, right? So we put in a quality management system that governs all the way up to the highest level of risk from a regulatory perspective. So in FDA parlance, you know, that's called class three or combination product intended use. So very high risk use cases of the data. So we built our infrastructure under that QMS. So, you know, we sort of say internally, you know, from our code to our culture, everything we do at Bright Insight is under that QMS. So every single piece of code we write is governed by that. And, and so what we do in terms of designing the code, doing the code, documenting, doing the unit level testing, doing the traceability, doing you know, the verification validation, um, creating what we, what's called the design history file. Everything is done under this QMS, which is you know, fundamentally lets us be a part of the medical product that our customers are building. Um, and hence, you know, we take on that burden of doing this part of the end solution on their behalf. So they can then use our infrastructure really as plug and play to build their innovation on top of this infrastructure. And we're doing this at a, at a global level. So we have built it and launched the platform, we've gone through the requirements from a US perspective, from a European Union perspective. Uh, now we're in the next wave of countries uh, that we're, we're close to being live in, which will be places like Japan and Canada and Australia. 
you know, and so we'll continue to expand, you know, across the globe, really providing, you know, on a, at a turnkey level, the, the, the IoT infrastructure, but infrastructure that's compliant to each, you know, region or country's requirements from a privacy, security, regulatory and quality perspective. You know, it's funny, we do a lot of work in digital industry, and so we think about the health of machines, you know, predicting, if you will, failure of rotating equipment. It's arguably been arguably easier to determine the health of machines than than people, and yet, you know, we have seem to have all of the sensing systems in place, and as you say, behavior change, you know, is, is moving in that direction. What do you think has held back the adoption of, of true digital health in that regard? Yeah, that's a great, great question. I mean, first thing I'll say, the shortfall hasn't been the, the technology, right? And and that's really again coming back to your point around why I, you know, really focused on technology and moved to to doctor and demand is it was so obvious to me that of course the underlying technology will continue to improve, but that wasn't the reason why we don't have adoption of that in in, in healthcare, right? And, you know, I think there's a few key reasons that have held it back. And the the first, you know, sadly, is lack of aligned incentives, right? It certainly, it's, it's a little bit different in each country, but there isn't the incentives for the patient and the provider to drive adoption of of this kind of technology, you know, and when I say incentive, I mean, you know, financial incentive. In fact, oftentimes they're disincentivized to spend the time and effort to, to understand and adopt and deploy these, these types of technologies. Um, you know, the second um, has been, uh, you know, the, is the, has been the privacy concerns, right? So understandably, um, you know, it's one thing to have, you know, the, the data of a GE jet engine, you know, being real time streamed to, uh, to um, you know, a, a monitoring center to monitor its performance and intervene. It's another thing to have you know your clinical data, um, you know, be streaming you know to 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 back end and and have your you know, those natural privacy concerns and and so I think those have been two of the two two of the main reasons that that's been held back and and certainly you know we, we really really try to make a big difference in the privacy side with you know, with what we do at, at, at Bright Insight. Um, but I think the, you know, the incentive side, uh, you know, there's progress for sure that's happening um, with concepts like value-based care, uh, but there's still, you know, there's still a ways to go uh, in terms of aligning incentives so that both, you know, users of the technology, i.e. patients, um, consumers, as well as the folks paying the bills, um, you know, are, are, are aligned to, to adopt these. Mm. Actually, similar into what has held back uh, the digitization of other industries as well, where privacy could be interchangeable with data security in some sense, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and those concerns, especially talking about the uh, the cloud in uh, businesses that are used to having everything on premise. And so, I suspect there's some common patterns there as well. I know we've hinted about it a couple times during the discussion, but what do you think the impact will be of the current COVID nineteen crisis on? digital health adoption, um, uh, you know, across both on the, the consumer side, certainly on the, the healthcare and uh, business side as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, look, you know, we're, we're all um, hoping that this, you know, this virus um, and, and its, you know, impact both, you know, from a clinical perspective and obviously, a, you know, people's mental and broader, you know, livelihood perspective, um, you know, really comes under control and, and passes soon. Uh, and, and I hope that, you know, the learnings, 
you know, that we, that were forced upon us through this experience are ones you know, that, you know, as a society and as governments and as, as you know, uh, large employers, we can sort of step back and, and reflect on and, and really make some changes around. And I think there's several layers of that, right? So, so first we're seeing um, you know, is that um, folks that had never tried or adopted you know, digital health, uh, as well as other technologies, um, you know, are, are rapidly, you know, experiencing and, and adopting that, right? So things like, you know, doing televisits, right, with your physician or provider versus going in person. Um, and I'm talking to folks I know both in the business and, on, and in my personal life that are saying, gosh, I, I don't see why I need to go back to seeing my doctor in person or, or at least not as many visits. I can do the majority of them on, on a teleperspective, right? And so so I think there'll be, um, you know, we'll get people to have experience and adopt it, which is, you know, obviously the first part of behavior change. Um, and, and hopefully people have the kind of experience um, that they want to keep using, you know, the, you know these types of solutions. And what we need to hope for is that um, the economic incentives, you know, that have held back, you know, some of the these adoptions that that have either been addressed in a temporary basis, um, or hopefully, you know, are, are now in a permanent basis. So, for example, you can get reimbursed, you know, as a as a provider to do televisits uh, just as well as you would for an in person visit, right? That those those types of changes hopefully will come. You know, I think the second. Um, you know, big piece is there's a recognition, growing recognition, you know, I think at all levels of what, you know, digital health, you know, particularly around things like remote diagnostic monitoring, you know, being able to, you know, see how somebody's doing from the comfort of their homes versus having to have them come into a clinic, right, from things like wearables, things like putting in their, you know, how they're feeling, et cetera, can really be you know, game-changing um, in the context of a you know of a, of a pandemic, but it could also yield you know tremendous again efficiency and improvement in how we monitor our health and and um, how the health system works. And so again, hopefully, we will continue to keep um, you know adopting and and using um, that type of uh, you know digital solutions that go beyond a televisit. Um, yeah, you know, as we as we continue, uh, hopefully, going back to you know otherwise a normal life, um, and then the third piece, um, which you know I haven't heard as much about, but I really you know hope uh, sort of realizes is the gaps that we have not just in our healthcare infrastructure, but in our digital health infrastructure. But in the U.S., for example, there's a lot of talk about. Uh, there's been talk actually going for years, if not decade or more, around you know the massive infrastructure investment that that the U.S. needs in fixing our you know roads and bridges and airports and so forth. Um, that's also you know needed in our core technology infrastructure. You know in our uh, you know, broadband and fiber optics and et cetera, um, you know, the same thing is needed, you know, on the digital health side, right? If we're going to really have a robust, um, you know, digital health offerings, both not just in times of crises, but also just for the improvements uh, of general health, um, you know, at the level of our governments, you know, we really need to think about what's the infrastructure that we're investing in, you know, how do we ensure um, you know, as you mentioned, things like cybersecurity, um, how do you ensure, you know, the ability for, you know, critical data to come in, you know, at a real time level, you know, how do you ensure that, um, you know, the privacy requirements are clear and, and can be, it can be met and, and monitored. Um, so there's a real opportunity, I think, you know, the level of individuals to systems, to governments, um, to step back and say, you know, digital health kind of helped us through this crisis. 
but how do we now get ahead of it so that digital health can fundamentally change the trajectory the next time something like this comes along? Earlier, you'd mentioned that um, that um, digitization effectively had been unevenly implied. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned the healthcare, education, and government just a moment ago have largely been skipped over from a digital perspective. What's your predictions on when you think these industries will truly be digitized? Yeah, no, I think before COVID, I would have said it's going to be in that um, in a sort of five to ten year time frame where we're going to start really, you know, living in a world where we're thinking digital first when it comes to healthcare. Um, And just based on, you know, what I'm seeing at the front lines of innovation, both within, you know, big pharma, med tech, but also at the level of startups, the level of what's going on in hospitals um, and and the care delivery side. Uh, But I think actually, you you know, there's a real, just coming back to my previous comment, I think with the COVID-19 crisis, you know, I would bet that that's going to, you know, drive some real acceleration. And and so, you know, instead of five to 10, you know, my prediction, it's just that a prediction would be that I think, you know, in the next three to seven years, we're going to see um, innovation come out and scale in a way that'll be very meaningful to changing the lives of many patients. Um, and it'll, you know, it'll, it won't be for everybody at once, but I think you'll see it at the level of certain aspects of your healthcare, uh, meaning you know, televisits versus in-person uh, or the level of disease areas, meaning as a diabetes patient, for example, they might become much more of a digital-based, um, you know, support system, uh, healthcare system than maybe other disease areas that will trail. Um, so I think, I think this, you know, we're living in a world where that, that, um, that tipping point was coming and, and was accelerating. And, and I think, the, the crisis, uh, you know, my guess is will really put, uh, you know, put more fuel behind the speed of that that innovation and that that adoption. Excellent. So we always like to finish up these discussions with a discussion of any recommended books or resources that inspire you to to share with our audience. Um, yeah, I'd love to share. Maybe I'll share one on the personal side and one on the professional side. Um, so, you know, on the personal side, uh, there's a book that, you know, read a long time ago. I think it was written about probably 20 years ago or more um, that just has, you know, always just leaves me just grounded every time I reflect back, back on it. It's called A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery. Um, really takes it through. Uh, uh, the lives of you know uh, uh, Indians um, at the time of uh, Indira Gandhi, um, and it, she was coming to to power and was leading in India, and it, and it just strikes you around you know how much you know on the one hand you know influence and control that people have of their lives, and at the same time how little you know we all have, right? And and again, I think you know sadly you know COVID is a is an example of that. That that in the blink of an eye, you know, I think governments and institutions and individuals went from feeling that they had an immense amount of control over their day to day lives to you know recognizing you know how how little they actually can have in, in certain circumstances and I think fine balance is just one of those I think timeless books for me that that just really gives me pause for 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 you know good reflection and conversation um, I think on the professional side um, you know a book that I 
sort of reflect back on a lot and, and often give to uh, folks that I promote into management roles is one written by um, you know Marshall Goldsmith called "What Got You Here Won't Get You There," and this is one of those things that I've seen um, when I was at BCG, you know, from a healthcare perspective, from a pharma perspective, and at a startup perspective, this common theme across folks in their careers, which is. Um, that you know, people who are really good at their job are the ones that get promoted to management, and you know, the common mistake that folks I've seen make over and over when they become managers is they continue to rely on the same technical skills that got them to that job, um, or that helped them really excel as as you know individual contributors. They rely on that skill uh, to try to be great managers and and you know fundamentally it's just a very different skill uh to be a great manager than it is to be great at a technical level and you really need to sort of pause and realize that you know those great technical skills uh are not what is going to make you a great manager but you know, there's fundamentally a different set of skills you need to focus on building that's going to make you a great manager um and so you know i think it's it's it, and i think it's an inflection point in people's careers right there's there's people who are stars that really um you know, uh, see a fundamental change in the trajectory of their career and, and, and the direction they didn't want when they get promoted to manager. And then there's others who actually were pretty good, maybe not even stars on the technical side, but really take off when they hit that management level. And, and, and I think this book does a great job of capturing what you need to focus on and learn um, to really be a great manager and continue to evolve uh, as a manager in your career. Two great suggestions, especially the uh, "What Got You Here Won't Get You There." It's, uh, that's been a uh, a favorite of mine as uh, as well. So it's been my great pleasure to uh, to interview Dr. Cal Patel, CEO of Bright Insight, and if I may, practitioner of impact at scale, because I think it clearly describes both your digital journey and uh, the difference that you're making as part of uh, Bright Insight now. So it's been a real pleasure, Cal. Thank you so much for taking the time. Ken, thank you. Um, Best of luck in these coming weeks and um, uh, look forward to connecting again in the future. Absolutely. Great. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening. 